Hi there, I'm Ben Pierce, and welcome to the Elevated You podcast, the podcast all about helping you in the tech world develop your professional skills. Each episode, we share the top tips, failures, and lived experiences of people thriving in the same world as you. I'm so glad you're here. So let's get going. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Elevated You podcast. We've got another really interesting show for you this time. We've got a guest that's had some really interesting roles throughout his career. He's a cybersecurity leader at AWS and describes himself as a disruptive anti-CISO. So please welcome to the podcast, Phil Winstanley. Thanks, Ben. I really appreciate the introduction. Um, <laughs> it's... It's always weird hearing people read out how you've described yourself, and you, you sometimes wonder, did I did I do the right thing when I wrote that down? Um, <laughs> it adds it adds some intrigue, doesn't it? Because we're going to explore what that means. So um, hopefully, it adds a bit of intrigue as to what's coming up over the next few minutes. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think the the other the other interesting title I go by internally is Witch Finder General. Uh, but I'll, <laughs> I'll let you dig into that a little bit later. Witch Finder General. I'm make, I've got a notepad. I'm making a note. Witch Finder General. Right, we'll, we'll loop back to that. Um, so, Phil, um, to start with, could you sort of share your background with us and, and what you're doing now? Yeah, totally. Um, and I always wonder which way to go, whether I go forwards uh, from the start of time or backwards from where I am now whenever I describe this to people. But let's go backwards. So right now I'm a principal security engineer at uh, AWS, um, looking after the AWS support organization, so all of our customer-facing accounts and systems. Um, I've been at AWS for about four years now, uh, and the kind of security that I do is is end-to-end. It's uh, We call it full-spectrum security. So that's Everything from helping us build and design secure systems, uh, all the way through to helping our customers if they get into trouble, um, or if someone's attacking them or going after their assets, whatever that might be, and everything you could possibly imagine in between those two spectrums. Um, I joined AWS uh, because I was looking for some operational work. I wanted to get hands-on keyboard again. Um, prior to that, uh, I spent about eight years at Microsoft, where I was doing consultancy. And that consultancy was very much hands-off keyboard. I was going around uh, mostly big government customers in the UK and helping them design their systems in a secure and scalable way. Um, and the reason I could do that is because prior to Microsoft, I was a programmer. I was a dev writing dirty scripts and hacky code, uh, uh, all self-taught. Uh, and uh, it showed, if you ever read my code, and um, my ex-colleagues will certainly attest to that. Um, so developer by trade that moved into uh, consulting on development, that then moved into security. Um, but in parallel to all of that, I did the, I think the things that you called out as interesting, uh, perhaps uh, side uh, careers as I went along. Um, I joined the military, I joined the Royal Air Force, and I was there for a number of years, uh, working in uh, Joint Forces Command in the space, where I worked on um, cyber security. Uh, so defending the nation and uh, working on offensive weaponry uh, for uh, the Royal Air Force and for, for the kind of UK national assets. And then I also 
did a stint with the National Crime Agency as a special uh, officer with them, where I was combating dark web uh, threats. And that was everything from people producing counterfeit money and identification through to selling narcotics and firearms and even into the more darker areas of child protection and human trafficking as well. So a whole range of different things in that space. But all of it's been underpinned by the massive nerd that I am and loving technology and using technology to help people stay safe, to look after people, to protect the vulnerable. This is where I put my superhero cape on. Um, those are the things that have always kind of appealed to me and that, that's kind of driven me through my career. Yeah. Do you know what? Fascinating. And I think it'd be lovely to sit down over a beer and like hear some of those stories or maybe not, you know, they'd be horrible, but distressing stories, but it would, you know, fascinating stories that I imagine that you've, you've got to share on, on, on that, on, on that path that you've been on the last few years. Uh, I mean, I guess where I'd love to start is, you know, to go back, you know, we, we joked a little bit, you know, describing yourself as, a, as an anti-disruptive, uh, sorry, a disruptive anti-CISO, which is something that I've got from your your, your LinkedIn tag. And I, I know that you've written articles on that very topic of being an anti, uh, sorry, I keep getting it the wrong way around, a disruptive anti-CISO. I wonder, you know, could you tell us what that means and what's that all about? Yeah, I, well, I suppose first things first, it's marketing, right? Um, those phrases of marketing <laughs> phrases that I've used to entice people in to ask me about it. It's uh, a hook. You've hooked us in. Oh, You've hooked us in. Absolutely. And it's working, right? I mean, doing a podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but what does it really mean? A few years ago, uh, I came across the concept of fixed and growth mindset. But whilst I was at Microsoft, actually, it was something that really resonated with me. And I recognized in the security industry, there were a lot of people that were doing old school, what I call infosec. So they were doing firewalls, they were locking things down, they were stopping people doing anything. Security is very much the department of no, uh, you can't do that. Uh, how dare you innovate? Uh, no, you must stay with that old clunky thing that you've got. A new laptop, Lordy no. Um, and I recognized all of that going on. And I, it really resonated with me after I learned about growth and fixed mindsets. So that was very much a fixed mindset. So what I wanted to do with my career and with the people that I've worked with is turn security into something else, turn it into something that empowers the business, that enables people to do the work that they want to do, but keeps them safe, places guardrails around them so that they can go crazy inside that space. Um, but at the same time, stay safe uh, with what they're doing. So the, the disruptive anti-CISO aspect is very much me describing growth mindset within security okay. and challenging all those people in security that don't like change. And it's typical in our industry. Security people do not like change. Change is dangerous. Change is scary. Change is unsafe and insecure. But challenging them to embrace change and to run headwind into change uh, and to drive change into their own organizations. Okay. So, so I, I, I guess what you're sort of describing is, is almost like a, a CISO type role with, with a growth mindset. So thinking about how do you become an enabler for the future? How do you think about security in the future? And as you, as you use that, you know, that growth mindset, you know, continually adapting, continually thinking, not the, the, the department of no, as you called it. 
Yeah, very much so. And I, 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 hey, I picked CISOs as a target because they're, they're the probably the most recognizable role in security that people think of. Yeah. Um, they tend to be board or near board level. Um, they tend to be the ones that drive the direction down into their organizations. They set the strategy. They set the, the direction that people are going in. But it equally applies to anyone doing any kind of security work, uh, from the people down in the IT department or the developers all the way up to uh, CISO and beyond. That concept of security should be there to enable the business, not to stop the business or to slow the business down. Okay. Okay. And so, uh, so I very much understand that as a notion of the direction of travel that, that, that we should be in. practically. How do you, how do you break that down? How, how do people, how do people make that a reality? It's such a tricky thing to do because we're talking about changing culture and changing behavior in an industry that is built on the opposite of what I'm describing. Um, you don't get security tooling or products that enable or empower. You buy things, buy tools and systems to lock things down, to alert and to alarm and to scream when someone moves in the wrong direction uh, as perceived by the systems. So it's fundamentally a, a cultural change and trying to encourage that in both the people that work in security, but also the people that are the customers of those security teams, the people within the business, how they perceive security. So it's both angles. Um, now, practically, what does that come down to? There's a few different areas. I think the first one is having empathy, having an empathy and understanding as a security person for your customers, for the marketing team that wants to launch that website tomorrow uh, to respond to something their competitors doing, having empathy for the operations team that needs to make some really quick changes to a system because they've got operational pain that their customers are suffering. Having empathy for the people in the business that have been given a directive from up on high to make something happen. Uh, understanding that all of these people are just trying to get their jobs done and they want to do it safely. No one wants to do something in an unsafe way. They just want to get their job done. Having that empathy and using that when you're talking to your customers from a security point of view puts you into a very different mindset from the typical one of we're security, there's the policy, the policy says no, you can't do that. Flipping it around to, okay, you want to do this crazy thing. How can we do it? Make sure you hit your dates and your deadlines. But we also have a degree of either control or understanding of the risks that we're taking on. And then making sure we're able to monitor for those risks on an ongoing basis. So moving more from what we call preventative controls into detective controls. So it's not, hey, you can't do that. You can't, we're not going to open the firewall. We're not going to let that access through. To, okay, we'll open the firewall. Then we need to set up monitoring on that. So if anything dodgy starts happening, we spot it straight away. And we can get on it and we can very surgically prevent that particular thing from happening. Because it's kind of just just twisting the mindset ever so slightly, um, but it's it's much harder. It's much harder for security people to do because all of a sudden they've got to be innovative and creative. They've got to come up with solutions to problems, not just apply policy. So it, it's shifting the mindset from security being a very 
fixed, solid set of policies, procedures, guidelines, big documents of hundreds of pages long saying why people can't do things into, all right, let's take your crazy and make it work. And let's make it work in a way that's safe for the business and safe for our customers as best we can. But understand there's always a little bit of risk there and being comfortable that we're going to have to carry some risk to get things done. I think that's the first piece. And so um, I'm aware that you you wrote a really good article. Um, you know, I'm a very professional podcast host. You know, I do my research. So I've, uh, I've read your article and I've been through. And, and what I really liked in your article was you sort of, you, you even broke that down to the next level and you sort of went, OK, everybody, because th- because this is difficult, because this is new. Um, here's maybe a few areas, a few components that you want to focus on. Do you want to maybe talk us through, you know, those components that you those areas that you uh, you think people could focus on to help them uh, in this uh, moving forward, this new approach? Yeah, it, it's difficult to deliver on a vision like the one I just described without breaking it down so people can actually get their head around the components that they need to change uh, and cultural changes is hard. So I I broke it up into a few different areas. Um, The first one, and I touched on this in what I just described, was autonomy. And autonomy for the people that are implementing to be able to own their own security. In pretty much every organization, there's one big central security group that does the security. Everyone outsources security to them, and everyone else, quote-unquote, doesn't have to worry about it as long as they stick inside the policies and guidelines. But over the years, I've discovered that that doesn't encourage people to be secure, to think with a security mindset. It doesn't encourage them to take security ownership of their own things. They just assume someone else will do it for them, which means they don't do anything. So with that in mind, uh, security autonomy is about security teams letting go of control and giving it back to the teams that are implementing and saying, you own your security. You own your risk and your risk tolerance. We're here to consult with you and to support you, but we need to do that in such a way that we are enabling you and empowering you to run as fast as you need to safely. Letting go from a security point of view for security people is probably the hardest thing. And I've got so many colleagues that have really struggled with this. The industry is very much built around centralizing and holding security in one place. But I've, I've seen it fail time and time again across countless organizations that I've worked with. Whereas if you give the permission down to the people on the ground, and this comes very much from my military uh, experience, commanders on the ground are given the autonomy to operate based within their mission parameters. It's like, that is your mission. That's what you need to deliver on. Do what you need to do to deliver that. Don't break the law. Don't go uh, killing people you shouldn't kill. Uh, Just stick within that. And as long as you do that, you've got complete autonomy to do it within that space. Security autonomy is the same but with development teams, with operations teams, with marketing teams, with anyone that needs to do anything. It's about empowering them, enabling them, giving them the rules that they need to work to, and then letting them do it their own way inside that. 
Okay, which I guess takes on to the, you know the second one that you talked about in the article, which which is creativity. So you've kind of trusted and you've empowered people. You've got the parameters. There's got to be, I guess, some kind of governance in there to make sure that things are done. But within that, people need to be creative on what works for them. Yeah, and and listen, no central security team understands every technology that all their developers are using or all of their. Other, other people are using the marketing team has gone and deployed this amazing system or uh, the accounts team has got a new processing piece for invoices all those organizations specialize in what they do they specialize in their domain their area and they can be creative within that security needs to match that creativity so we saw a big shift when people started moving to the cloud all of a sudden it was like oh that computer's not in my data center that I don't 100% control anymore. People got so used to having complete control over something uh, that they set up a load of policies and procedures around that. As we saw people move to the cloud, they had to adjust that mindset because all of a sudden, other people might have access to that data. So instead of going, we lock down the perimeter and we, we, we we make sure no one else can log into it, we change to more creative approaches of, okay, well, let's encrypt the data. We don't care if anyone gets into the system, but if the data's encrypted and we hold the key to that, it doesn't matter if someone gets it. They can't do anything with it. We've got the key. As long as we keep that key safe, we're good. And those kind of creative security solutions are very much driven not from security folks, but from the people that need to get their jobs done, the dev teams, the marketing teams, the, the other teams. So, so combining the autonomy with the creativity and empowering teams to make those decisions and carry their own risk uh, really helps deliver on the opportunity that's there for teams to drive their own security. Okay. So, so we've got the ideas of autonomy and, and creativity. What are the other components that you'd call out? Yeah. So, I mean, none of this works unless it's successful. You know, you can't you can't give away control and let people run riot on things if you end up with lots of breaches and security incidents and you end up in court or you're having to use your cyber insurance, right? It doesn't work. It's got to be successful. And uh, success isn't just about delivering on your solution. It's also being effective. Right? So there's, there's two parts to that. There's no good being successful or right if you're not effective in what you do. So measuring and understanding what good looks like from a security point of view and helping people understand what good looks like is a big part of this people need to be able to inspect or verify what they're doing is is good and okay and the only way we get that feedback from our customers as security folks is by asking them how are things going by engaging with them on a continuous basis it's not about just dropping uh, them and leaving them to run riot, it's about working with people and partnering with them on an ongoing basis. Which leads on to kind of another one of those areas, which is how we engage with those teams. No one wants to talk about security unless they're in security. It's the dullest topic in the world. <laughs> maybe it's maybe up there with accountancy and, and uh, contract reviews from a legal aspect. From from my point of view. And apologies to all of your uh, <laughs> listeners that might be accountants or lawyers. Um, security is dull. 
it's not exciting to a lot of people. There's there's the sexy side of, of breaches and compromises. And we've all seen the films where hackers have got a progress bar on the screen that, as they're breaking into a system. But that's not real security. Real security is dull as dishwater. It's not exciting. So how do you engage with your audience when they don't care about security, when they don't want to understand it? And the thing that I found works incredibly well in building relationships between security folks and non-security folks, regardless of what role they're in, is just having a sense of humor. And whilst that doesn't come naturally to a lot of people, understanding that you're the big bad security person, you're in the room, no one wants you to be there, you're either there because they've done something wrong or they're about to do something wrong. And being honest with the people in the room, like, hey, listen, I'm I'm not here to come and put you in jail. Uh, I'm I'm here to help you launch whatever it is that you're doing. And making them feel comfortable, using that empathy, using that humor uh, to discuss the situations that you're in. And I'm talking about the practicalities of the security. Like, okay, so you're gonna you're gonna release all this data onto the internet. Like, yes, yes, we're gonna do that. Like, cool. Okay. And what would the headline look on the front page of the BBC News on the day that that data is breached? Do you think? Now, that's not humour, but it it certainly quickly draws people into the real world, yeah. and you start to relate to what's going on. And then you can start making up fake headlines with the team uh, and you'll have a bit of a laugh about it, but it gets the message across that you've got something real that you're talking about that could have a real impact and it's something that they can relate to. So empathy, humor, being able to relate back to people, they're all parts of this. So if I, um, if I could maybe change tack a little bit, um, so really interesting about the anti, uh, sorry, the disruptive anti-CISO stuff. Another thing that I think is really fascinating is is from uh, having worked with you in the in, in the past. You know, we crossed paths many years ago now, um, and seeing your presence online, seeing the articles that you've written, the things that you do, um, I very much think of you as a as a thought leader and as as a really successful technical leader. But I also understand that you're not a, a direct people manager, so you're you're um influencing people you're leading people but you're not directly authoritative over people so i I just wonder from your perspective what does it mean to be a technical leader and how do you thrive in that when you're not in a position of line manager authority yeah it's it's interesting success is often measured by how high or high up a hierarchy you are of, of management how many people you've got reporting to you um i've never really yearned for that as an outcome um and i'm very lucky that i'm in an industry that allows me to progress uh, as it were up the ranks without taking on management uh, responsibility i'm able to focus on my domains my technical areas uh, and work my way up the ranks that way without having to take on staff but the the challenge as you, as you kind of highlighted there is if you don't have staff, if you don't have people working for you, how do you enact change? How do you, how do you get things done? Uh, you're just one person. Um, and you have to build up trust. You've got to build up trust with lots of different people and build up relationships to get anything done. Because you're, 
dependent on other people doing things for you and wanting to do things for you. Um, so servant leadership is, is one of those topics where you have managers that look to their staff and do what their staff need, uh, as opposed to turning around the other way and directing and telling people what to do. That's a concept in, in the kind of management space. When it comes to the individual contributor space, so that I, I'm not a manager, I'm in what we call an IC, individual contributor, you have to lead without authority. Like it's, it, it, there is no real authority at all. It's implied or it's assumed by the way in which you have those relationships with people. So how do you build that trust? Well, the first thing is you don't be the department of no. You work with people to help them get things done. It comes back to a lot of the things I've already talked about in that regard. You also have to understand how you scale yourself because you can't be everywhere, but you need to have a bigger reach. So it's about building uh, inside Amazon, we call them mechanisms, but think of systems uh, or processes that allow you to share your knowledge more broadly and share your skills and expertise more broadly. One of the big things that, uh, that I've done since I've been here at uh, Amazon is uh, built out a network of, we call them guardians, uh, some companies call them security champions or whatever. So these are people sitting inside other teams, inside dev teams, operations teams, IT teams, account managers, um, people that are customer facing, who have a passion for security in some way, shape or form. They find it exciting, they find it interesting. Uh, and I've worked to build up a network of these people that can carry my message out into the wild and into their own teams. So I can be represented when I'm not, not in the room. Uh, and that's a big part of being an individual contributor and being successful. We call it force multiplication. Uh, so I can have one message and get it out to thousands of people in a way that isn't seen as coming from on high, but is coming from their own teams in a way that isn't seen as being a directive, but rather is being a suggestion on how to do something better. And then teams adopting it and doing it in a way that's suitable for them. So that influence without authority very much relies on building up a network of people out in the business that also buy into the same message as you. You can't force anyone to do something if they don't want to do it. Yeah. Especially if you're not their manager. <laughs> Even if you're their manager in many cases, and I'm sure you've got stories of, of, of that from, from your <laughs> management experience of managing me, if nothing else. Um, yeah. You, leadership when you're an IC when your individual contributor is about working with people to meet their needs. Uh, and there is no one path to this. There's no one right way. Um, but you've got to have empathy. You've got to engage with people. You can't just hide in a cave uh, and do technical work. You've got to actually get out there and engage with people. You've got to stand up for the people on these teams and turn around to their management and say, do you know what? I don't think you're making the right choices here. And you've got to represent people back to their management chain and be that independent voice that sits outside of their chain that can push back, that can call out issues or problems, or conversely, can identify really good practices and can reach out 
to their management chain and highlight that their teams are doing this. And it's a really cool thing. I've got an example from this morning. There's a, a chap in Germany working with us, one of our low-level security engineers. And he's set up every week a one-hour uh, call where he invites all of the security people from Europe onto it. And it's just a social coffee meetup online. Tiny thing, just a recurring meeting. He hosts it for a couple of minutes and people chat. And people end up talking about all sorts of weird and wonderful things. Like last week, uh, there were a couple of people talking about parallel printer ports and what crazy things you can do with those. Do you remember those? I do, uh, I do. A big wide cable. <laughs> I remember them. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but that one engineer has set that up and is bringing lots of people together. I made a point to reach out to his management chain and I talked about how he and that initiative is helping the mental well-being of dozens of security people across our whole organization. Hmm. So being an individual contributor comes from those, those kind of low-level pieces where you've got people with little initiatives that drive things through all the way up to driving big company-wide initiatives and getting everyone on board and excited by something and helping them drive it forward. And Microsoft used to use the term evangelist, which I, I never really gelled with. Um, but it is very much evangelizing ideas and concepts and helping people know it's okay to not be a manager, but they can still yeah. make a huge amount of change and impact probably way more than they ever would as a manager in many cases. Yeah. And uh, but but I I think what's really interesting what we're talking about here is because what we're talking about really is is, is leading in a technical space where you've got some great technical abilities but actually the bits that you've sort of highlighted for us there aren't necessarily your technical chops it's not necessarily whether you have in continued to invest and invest and you're now what you've sort of talked about actually is about clarity it's about being able to scale it's about being able to empower to build trust. You know, so lots of what you're talking about there, uh, you know, and the, the technical skills are forgiven, right? You, you've got to have that technical ability, but you need to fuse that with these other skills that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I would say on that, if you don't have the technical skills, it's very hard to be trusted by the people that are technical to yeah. allow them to lead you, to, sorry, to allow you to lead them. Yeah. Um, I once got some feedback that I wasn't technical enough in a certain area. Uh, it was Linux, and I, I'd never used it. I was like, okay. So I sat down and I learned it. And then the next conversation I went into with that person, I was like, okay, I now know the terminology. I've not got as much experience. And almost night and day, I was treated differently. Technical people really? respect technical people. Um, so you need that respect. And that's like the foundation that builds yeah. that respect, which then you can build on and to, you know, to, to allow you to build the trust, the relationships you were talking about, to build those communities and to scale out, all layered on top of those key technical skills. Yeah, totally. I, but I don't think it's impossible for someone that's non-technical to also have that kind of, uh, that kind of impact. So you can have yeah. non-technical individual contributors that can also drive that kind of change and impact by the way in which they behave. I think behavior is a big part of this. Mm. And it's about building trust. It's about showing empathy. It's about trying to listen and understand where people are coming from. And yeah. I got some advice from a, a coach years ago. This always stuck with me. and it, it applies to all situations. You've got one mouth 
and two ears. Use them in that proportion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think that that alone was the single piece of advice that allowed me to become a technical leader without authority yeah. by listening to people. Yeah. Brilliant. Phil, can you believe it? We're heading towards the end of our time together. It, you know, it's it's been fascinating. And I think, you know, particularly, you know, when I think about it from both the security space, which is so pervasive and so important to every single person at the moment working in the tech sector. So, you know, that is is awesome. And then also thinking about as individual contributors, how we you, know, you can be real leaders and really drive change and have real impact in our companies, with our customers, in society. Um, it's fascinating. So, so I guess just to summarise, what would be the key takeaways um, that you'd offer out there for people listening to the podcast? Well, let's let's pick an audience, shall we? Because I think there's different takeaways for different different audiences. Well, let's pick a couple of audiences. I'll be and I'll be as quick as I can to fill in the t- fit the time. If you're working in security, learn about a growth mindset and try and engage with a growth mindset. It's hard. It's so difficult. But I, I promise you it's worthwhile investing in a growth mindset. And I think that goes for any technical person. If you're in a technical role of any kind, learn to have a growth mindset. If you are a consumer of security services in your business, reach out to and engage with them as human beings because we are. We really are human beings underneath it all. And often you don't speak to us unless there's something wrong. Reach out to your security people when there's not something wrong. Go for a coffee, hang out with them, learn about what they're doing and the direction things are going in so that you don't get surprised by things downstream. Security is there to support you and we can enable you to ship faster, to deploy your systems, to really grow on things. So yeah, engage with your security teams if you have them. Um, And if you are a security person, do the absolute best you can to understand your business and engage with them at their level. Brilliant. Really interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think um, sort of just as a little shout out, um, there is an article and I'll pop it in the show notes of the podcast for anybody that wants to go and read the article that you've written, which goes through a lot of these things in in, in a lot more detail. So, so thank you for sharing that. I think key takeaways for me, and I'm just looking at the notes that I've jotted down. First thing is, we haven't had a chance to uh, explore the Witchfinder general title yet. So uh, that's maybe the topic for the next podcast. Um, but yeah, I, I think what's fantastic, yeah, what I found really interesting was just thinking, I guess, more generally, how once you've got that technical foundation and we need to continually reinvent those skills as they change, the things that you were talking about, how you need to build trust with people, how you need to scale out, how you need to build community, how you need to have empathy for people, and you need to approach situations with a growth mindset because those behavioural things that you were talking about, I've observed in the past, they're the things that make people really successful, that allow them to drive change, to achieve the things that they want to achieve. So it's brilliant, it's brilliant to, to see them, to see you pulling that out uh, and practically ha- how you've done that. Um, so, so, Phil, thank you so much um, uh, for, for joining us on the podcast. How can people get in touch with you? Where where do you hang out digitally if people have got questions, want to get in touch with you? Well, I'm one of those sneaky security people, so I try not to be anywhere. But um, LinkedIn <laughs> is absolutely the best place to get a hold of me. Uh, I'm not always the fastest in responding, uh, but I will always try and get back to people as soon as I can. 
Brilliant. Well, Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for all the tips and tricks and advice and your insight. It's been brilliant. Um, so thank you so much. Thank you, Ben. It's been a real pleasure. So there we have it. Thanks for listening. Please do subscribe to the podcast and rate the show. It really helps spread the word. And check out our technical storytelling program to help build your influencing and leadership skills. 